Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, I'm Dave Hendon. And I'm Michael McMullen. And welcome to the Snooker Scene Podcast, or maybe we should call it Mark Williams' favourite podcast. Because Mark, yeah. Williams, Mark Williams, an unlikely fan, has been tweeting about it. He says it's the only podcast he's ever listened to. Uh, he also denied having been on it, despite the fact he, cl- mm. he clearly was. Um, at Crondon Park during the Championship League. I asked him to come on. He said, oh, no problem, he said, but um, have some of my chocolate. That's the, that's the, that's the deal breaker. I thought, well, what, what's the problem with that? But of course, the chocolate he gave me was laced with chili, so chili, That's right, chili, yeah, chili powder, which was a bit of an experience. But he is on; it's, he's in the back catalogue. Uh, good afternoon, good morning, Mark. Whatever time of the day you're listening, and thanks for being on board. And of Probably course, good afternoon. I don't imagine Mark oh. gets up much in the morning. No, we will have to say nice things about him at some point. But uh, nice, yeah. nice to have you listening. And um, obviously, we're all gearing up for the World Championship. We're going to be going through the draw. Um, and people will be very keen to hear our predictions because we did so well on the qualifiers, didn't we? We did so uh, well on that. Flying, yeah. <laughs> well, I think you just edged it. In the, I think it all came down to Gouldy's match. That basically, yeah. if Gouldy won, you edged it, and otherwise we had a draw. I think was, is that right? It was four three, I think, to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, uh, yeah, you, you can't spell Pyrrhic victory without the word Pyrrhic. So uh, that's. Uh, but yes, you know, it's a difficult game. Listen, it was a, it was a, it was a tough old, uh, it was a tough old ten days, I think, and uh, the guys who got through. They did really well. There's a lot of experienced campaigners got through, which maybe isn't that much of a surprise. I don't think anyone actually made it from round one. I stayed, no. on, I stayed on this podcast. Someone will definitely get through mm. from round one. They didn't. Uh, two debutants, Sam Craig and Mark Joyce. But we'll come to all this in due course. Just a couple of items of business before we go through the draw. Um, there's a documentary. We're recording this on Thursday, so it'll be tomorrow, Friday night on Eurosport, 7 o'clock. It's called One Day at the Crucible, and it's about the last day of the semi-finals. Last year, that incredible day where Karen Wilson played Anthony McGill, Ronnie O'Sullivan played Mark Selby, and of course it was just an unbelievable day of drama. And uh, Tom Anderson from Eurosport has produced this documentary, spoken to the players. I'm on it as well. Don't let that put you off. Well, we'll see how much of it uh, makes it onto air and, and not the cutting room floor. But yeah, it's an hour-long documentary. I think it's a perfect way to ease yourself into this year's event by looking back on what was an unbelievable day of snooker last year. Um, I also wanted to mention Alan McManus's retirement. Um, mm. that, that was one of the big stories of the qualifiers. Um, 
he, he said, I mean, he, he sort of told me before that he was going to pack it in, even if he'd, even if he'd, you know, made the crucible. It was he's decided it's his last year. And Alan is the sort of character when he decides something, he decides something. I think he would made peace with it. He's having trouble practicing. We, we touched on this when we did the preview of the qualifying. You know, he's got nowhere to really play properly. He's obviously getting a lot of offers to do media work. And but it's still a shame, I think. You know, I mean, we'll still see him and we'll hear him definitely. But you know, he's one of those bit like Steve Davis in a way. You just think kind of would would have carried on forever. But you know, it's his choice, and uh, he's had a, he's had a magnificent time of it. Yeah, and I think the tournament will ultimately remember for him uh, remember him for the most. It's obviously the Masters in '94, beating Hendry in the final. But perhaps second to that would be his remarkable run five years ago now when he got to the semi-finals of the World Championship. I think he was 45 at that stage. Mm. And it was a little bit out of the blue. He'd had actually a bit of an upturn in form over the previous year or so, but still nobody was thinking going into that, yeah, Alan McManus is going to get to the semi-finals. But it didn't spark any sort of renaissance, really. And he didn't really accomplish much more in the remaining five years. He was someone who was just not quite good enough to ever get into the very top bracket of the top three or four. I mean, he was number six for about three years in a row. Then he stalled at number eight, I think, for about five years in a row. So he was always just short of that. I remember talking to him about a year ago about the fact that he got to the semi-finals and later stages of so many events, but still only won two ranking events plus the Masters. And as he pointed out at that time, once you got to the semis, you were nearly always playing a Hendry or a Davis or a White or a Parrot. And as we were saying, I think a couple of weeks ago, at that time, those guys were so, so hard to beat. So he just was never quite able to become one of the very top players, but someone who was a very, very good player for a very, very long time and is now a very, very good media pundit. And as you say, he's going to be in so much demand because I think everyone agrees he's just absolutely wonderful at what he does and he brings so much insight. Every time he opens his mouth, you learn something more about the game. So it's great that although he's not going to be playing anymore, he's not going to be lost to the game in any sense. Yeah, I think I personally think Alan is as good a a good a broadcaster on sport as you'll hear in any yeah. sport. Yeah. And I, Absolutely. I think it's, I, I think it's quite revealing actually, both him and Neil Folds are both cricket, cricket fans mm. and cricket, cricket, I think more than any other sport has given us great broadcasters, partly because the sport lends itself to, you have time obviously in a test match to talk. You know, you look back though, even like John Arlott was a poet, you know, Brian Johnson, these people are more modern day, obviously Richie Benno, but even now like Mike Atherton, Nasser Hussain, David Lloyd, recently David Gower, Great voices, really worth listening to. You know, they don't just talk for the sake of it. I think Alan and Neil sort of come from that kind of world in a way where, you know, what they say, you want to hear them say it. Um, it's not just padding. And Alan, you know, when he get, he almost gets inside the way the shots are played. He gets inside the way the players are thinking. Very, very good. We'll hear him on whatever channel wants to, wants to employ him. I'm sure they all will. Good luck to him putting the queue down. The other thing before we get on to the draw, obviously, we you know, we built up to the Henry White match. Um... It wasn't a great match, but it was an interesting sort of uh, experience to watch it. And then Jimmy got the wild card again. Um, what interested me about that, there was a lot of sort of people saying he shouldn't get it. Um, but they were the same people who for a week had been saying that the Henry White match should be on the TV. So mm. that's the point, isn't it? The interest. If, if, you, if you tuned in to watch Henry White and were excited by it, that's the reason Jimmy's got the wild card. The, the two go together. Now, there's an argument to be made that he shouldn't have it. I think you you were right when you said kind of they should formalise it a bit more rather mm. than just rather than just pulling a card out of your coat and saying there you go Jimmy there should be more of a structure to it because otherwise it is just sort of grace and favour stuff. But if you were excited about Jimmy playing Stephen Hendry, that proves there is interest in him playing. Um, 
now, as I say, you know, maybe it, it was time to to knock it on the head, but clearly there is still interest in Jimmy White. That's just a fact. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I do think it does need to be formalised in that way. You know, once you get to a certain number of ranking event wins or certain total of career prize money or whatever, that you, you get an exemption. Maybe there should be a limit, maybe up to the age mm. of 60. And, of course, Jimmy is arriving at 60 in a few weeks. But as you say, I mean, he still has quite a bit to offer. And, look, the thing about invitational cards is very, very, very few players have got them. And, I mean, you look at the guys who have, it's people like... Um, well, Steve was on one, I think, for a while, but didn't mm. really use it. Henry, obviously. Well, I mean, Henry's Henry, isn't he? Uh, Jimmy as well, as we mentioned. I think Ken, maybe his timing was good, wasn't it? Dropping off the tour because mm. they were giving one to Jimmy at the same time. And it's like you couldn't really give one to Jimmy and then have another player who had been world champion dropping off at the same time and not give him one. But again, Ken has brought so much. Watanah as well, you know, brought the whole... Um, Thai and Asian aspect into things, you know, a long time before anyone else was breaking through from that part of the world. So they've been extremely rare, the players they've been handed out to. And uh, we'll see. I mean, look, nobody thinks Jimmy's going to win that many matches over the course of the two years. Does he go on after that at the age of 62? I think ultimately it might come to a case that Jimmy calls time on it himself. But I, I do think Mark Allen was entitled to his opinion. But perhaps, you know, he needs to spend less time on Twitter and more time actually trying to win some matches, or he might need a wild card himself in a few years. Well, yeah, listen, he's absolutely entitled to say what he feels yeah. about it. I, I just feel I'm, I've got nothing against Jimmy having it, but I just feel it can't, it shouldn't just be at the discretion of, of Barry or, or Will Snooker. You know, here you go, Jimmy. There should be more, a more formal arrangement, either like you said, life membership or it's a five year card or whatever, rather than just every two years, oh, we, we might give you one. Yeah, we will. Anyway, listen, Jimmy will, uh, Jimmy will be very grateful, I'm sure. Okay, so the World Championship, uh, we've had the qualifying. We now have the Crucible draw, which has been made today. Uh, Ronnie O'Sullivan, of course, starts out on Saturday. He starts out against Mark Joyce, who's taken 15 years to get to the Crucible uh, as a professional. He's finally made his debut. A lot of people, obviously, were hoping that Igor Figueredo would make it. Mm. Um, but he didn't. Mark Joyce made it. My feeling on this, we're going to go, we're going to make our predictions for what it's worth. My feeling on this is, this is... A stinking draw for Mark Joyce. And and here's the reason, okay. It's hard enough playing Ronnie, obviously. But it's the first session of the tournament, right? He's never played at the Crucible. He can't go up there for a few days, get used to the environment, get used to the atmosphere of being a part of the tournament. He's got to walk out into the lion's den in the first session. And, you know, he's playing someone who very rarely loses first round. I know he lost to James Cahill two years ago. That is in the background. But... I well put it, put it this way: if you put a camera on Mark Joyce when that draw came out, he wasn't punching the air. Yeah, and he strikes me always as someone who just gets a little bit nervous at times, gets into his own head a bit, and that's going to be to the fore more than ever, isn't it? I mean, your crucible debut, and it's the first match up, and not only are you playing Ronnie, you're playing Ronnie when he's the defending champion. Mm. I suppose the best thing you can say about it is, you know, he'll it'll be always something to say that he played Ronnie O'Sullivan at the crucible on the first day of the World Championship. And while he wouldn't write him off, I think it would be a really, really big surprise. Uh, I think at the previous times, Ronnie's gone there as holder. He's generally polished off his first match pr- pretty comfortably. And I think he'll do the same again. Yeah, debutants, by and large, don't win their first match. Ronnie O'Sullivan mm. didn't, for example. He played Alan Manis, actually. Um, yeah. So we're both going for Ronnie there. Uh, next match, I think, is a little harder to call. Um, Anthony McGill, Ricky Walden. Of course, McGill seeded in part because he got to the semis last year. Ricky Walden, you know, he's, he's had his problems with his back, but, you know, he's a former semi-finalist. He's a former top 16, plays one big ranking events. Um, how, how do you see that one? Yeah, it's 
bit of a flip of a coin, isn't it? Great to see Ricky back playing nicely again. I mean, he's just one of the nicest guys you could ever meet in the game. Uh, but, you know, McGill has turned his game around again, hasn't he? Um, after a major slump, really, from him. So I'm just going to edge it for McGill. I'm just going to edge it for Ricky. Um, right. I think this is one of the hardest to call in this round. I think McGill is a, is a well, we talk about crucible players. I think he is that. And I tipped him for the semis last year. Let the record show. Yeah, incredible. Mm. Yeah, it was incredible. Um, but hey, Rod Studd, the darts commentator, said something very wise, actually, on Twitter this week. He said, um, talking about, you know, how do you pick the seed? Do you pick the qualifier? And he said, if the qualifier wins, people say it's because they're match fit. And if they lose, it's people say it's because they're burnt out. Yeah. Um, I think there is value to having had matches. The top players, by and large, haven't had many of late. You know, even the Tour Championship was a few weeks ago, and obviously there's only eight players in that. I don't know. I just feel McGill's going there again, isn't he? With the memory, surely, of last year in his head. When he walks in, that's going to be the first thing he thinks about. Um, and ultimately, they weren't really happy memories. You know, he was very close to getting to the world final, lost probably the most extraordinary frame ever played there. Um, mm. He could win. He could, absolutely could. But I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna go for Ricky. But I don't think there's much in that one. Um, I think the two players that the seeds wanted to avoid were definitely Stuart Bingham and Ali Carter. Uh, Ding hasn't avoided Stuart Bingham, um, who is actually in the position Ding was in a few years ago, 20, yes. 2016, when of course he had to qualify and got there not with the pressure of being a seed. This year, that's Bingham's position. He's playing Ding, who. It's been quiet this season. It's not been an easy season for him. He's not been back to China since last July. He's not seen his wife and child, his daughter, since last July. That must be very, very difficult. Now then, in the back of his mind, he might almost subconsciously think, well, I'm under less pressure because if I lose, the worst thing that happens is I go home to see them. Mm. Um, but he's not shown up that much in form. And I thought Bingham, not, not only obviously did he qualify, but he played terrifically well, I thought, to qualify. 240s against Brussels. Um, he didn't show any adverse reaction time to go to the qualifiers, much like Ding, actually. Um, so my, my tip there is Stuart Bingham. I could not be more uh, in disagreement with you, Dave, okay. because I'm, I'm actually going to just show my hand a little bit early here. I've thought about this. Ding is my tip for the title. Wow, this is big. Yeah. <laughs> hang on, well, hang on. Let, well, let me get a rewind, right? Last, I think it was only last week you said yeah. Judge Trump, whatever happened, would be your yeah. tip. Well, it was a few weeks ago. Yeah. <laughs> But I suppose, well, I'll tell you what, what, I'll tell you where I'm coming from in this. I thought to myself, you know, am I going to go on the podcast on the 3rd of May or the 4th of May, if we end up doing it the next morning, and claim any glory for tipping the world number one to win the world championship? Let's face it, I'm not Phil Yates. I'm not going to do that. I'll just have egg on my face instead. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) So then, so, so I thought, okay, look, absolutely, if you're looking for the logical winner. Trump is who you have to pick. But then, as I say, there's no fun in that. It's like people used to tip Tiger Woods to win majors. I mean, you know, well, big deal. Like, so, um, so then I thought, well, who am I going to pick? And I just thought about it with Ding. His world championship record over the years, at times, he's not really done himself justice. And it's generally been, not entirely, but most of the time, his performance at the world championship seems to be an inverse to what's expected of him going in. As you say, 2016, he was going in as a qualifier, ended up, that was the time he almost won it. 2014, he was going in as the best player in the world at the time, and ended up losing in the first round, one of the Crucible's biggest ever upsets. And I just feel, you look at the season he's had, he's done nothing, really, of of any great note. But he's actually been playing all right. He's got to four ranking quarterfinals. It's always been a Selby or an O'Sullivan or an O'Trump, can't even speak now, or a Trump. Who's knocked him out. 
So he's kind of been bubbling away, playing all right. Very little expectation on him. And crucially, he is not carrying the weight of the world's biggest nation on his shoulders this year. Because actually, the Chinese player of prominence more at the moment is Yan Bingtao, because he's just won the Masters. So I just thought maybe this is going to be Ding's time to do it, actually. And so, as I've now said, I'm going to tip him for the title. Um, obviously, <laughs> it follows that uh, I'm, I'm going for him to beat uh, Stuart Bingham in the first round. Well, it's big, but I like that. Yeah. I think, this, yeah. is why, this is why Mark Williams listens, you see. It's big talk. Mm. Um, He'll stop listening now. Though, yeah. Well, we, we, haven't got, we haven't got to him yet. Anyway, yeah. uh, the next match, Stephen Maguire, Jamie Jones. Uh, Jamie Jones, he was one of my tips that actually made it through the qualifiers. Um, of course, last this, you know last year during the World Championship, he was at the Q School trying to get his place back. We know he dropped off the tour. It was quite emotional qualifying, as you'd expect. <laughs> yeah. Bottom line is, despite, all right, we know what happened. He was pretty stupid what he did. He got suspended. He served his time. He's come back. Everyone deserves a second chance. The fact is, he's a really good player, Jamie Jones. And he's done well there before. He's beaten Sean Murphy there a couple of times. He's been a quarter-finalist. Stephen Maguire... We haven't seen him since the Welsh Open. He's not played yeah. since February. He decided he got sick of driving down to Milton Keynes and indeed driving back for seven hours. Fine. He, you know, he didn't enjoy all of that, clearly. He's a bit of an enigma for me at the Crucible Maguire. You know, he's a couple of semi-finals, but quite a few first-round exits. Seems to get involved in a lot of close matches there, although not last year. He was well beaten by Martin Gould. There's no form to speak of for Maguire. There clearly is with Jones, and he goes there with that motivation to continue this great run he's been on. Now, you could argue maybe the very fact of qualifying almost draws a line under it all. But to me, he goes there actually as with a good chance to cause what wouldn't be a big upset, but I think, you know, he's still a shock. Yeah, I, th- I think he'll win uh, um, for all the reasons you've outlined there. I mean, Maguire, I don't know what happens to him at the Crucible. Uh, you know, as you say, he's been semi-finalist a couple of times, but the second of those was nine years ago now. And he's only got past the first round twice since then. Mm. He almost seems to put too much pressure on himself because he was being talked about early on in his career as a world champion of the future. He's not done it. He's not even been in the final. And he knows time is running out for him. So he maybe just seems to put too much pressure on himself going there. Maybe not. Maybe it's just the way it's gone every year that he's, he's gone there and struggled in recent times. I love watching Jamie Jones play. I remember that year he got to the quarterfinals. I thought he just played magnificently and was so entertaining to watch and, and so fluent. And look, it's bonus time for him, isn't it? The fact that he's back on the circuits, things were looking so bleak for him a year, 18 months ago. Uh, I think he'll go there and be in a great frame of mind. And yeah, I fancy him to beat Maguire. I'm going to tip him as well. Maguire, I think, you know, the Crucible's a place, if you lose a bit of patience and get frustrated, it can cost you, it can cost you, you know, three or four frames and suddenly, you know, you're 7-2 down or something before you know where you are. Maybe that's been an issue with him. Like I say, despite, you know, we know all about Maguire, but... This season, a bit of an unknown quantity, not had many matches of late. Um, and I just think Jones, you know, has got that drive. And actually, it's to his credit the way he's played this season. He must have been nervous coming back on the circuit, just seeing people again, um, apart from anything. He's handled himself really well. He's been in the semi-final, he's qualified. And yeah, I fancy him there. John Higgins, Tian Peng Fei is the next match. Tian, he, he played Maguire, didn't he, uh, a couple of years ago. He lost mm. a horrible match. Maguire, a massive fluke on a blue late on. Uh, John Higgins, well, crucible legend. What what do you what's do you see a shot there? Nah, not really. I mean, look, there there are none of these matches where you'd be writing anyone off. But I think if you were trying to pick, if you were ranking the sixteen matches in order of, you know, how much you fancy an upset in terms of the seedings, I think this would be very near the bottom of it. So I think you have to tip Higgins. And I am doing. Uh, our friend Mark Williams. Yeah. Sam Craigie. Now this one intrigues me purely because Sam Craigie is another debutant. I think we all recognise he's quite a dangerous player. 
he's a little bit of an enigma as well. He doesn't give much away in interviews. Um, he's quite a steely character, I think. But again, he's coming up against someone who you know knows the crucible like the back of his hand. Mark Williams, three times champion. You're not going to get under his skin, clearly. Mark, Mark will get under your skin more likely. He'll be playing his break off and all the rest of it. I'm sure there'll be a lot of comment about that, even though he's been doing it for months. Um, so the question, I guess, again, is do you see an upset there? Not really. I mean, Mark Williams tends to perform at the Crucible the way he's performed during the season. I mean, you look at the three times he's won it. On each of those occasions, he's had a really, really good season going into it. And then equally so when he's lost in the second round the following year, each time his season has kind of trailed off a bit going into it and there wasn't much expected of him. And although you wouldn't say he's had an outstanding season by any means, he's, there's no denying he's shown some form in the run-up to, uh, to Sheffield. OK, so it's been in shorter format events, but you play so many matches that you don't get to the end of them without being in, in decent sort of form. So, yeah, um, got to tip Williams to go through. And of course, if, if both of those matches go the way we expect them to, it's a rerun of what I still think is the greatest world final we ever saw. But we'll come to that. Yeah, um, what was I going to say about Mark? Oh, it's got out of my head. Oh, no, that's it, yeah. It seems to me he's just really enjoying playing at the moment. Um, yeah, yeah. He's just having fun. I mean, you can see the way he's playing. He's sort of on a bit of a free roll. He's playing very attacking snooker, going for everything. That got him to the semis of the Welsh. He's a dangerous player. I mean, very, still a great player. Um, and I just feel it's how, you know, cliche, cliche alert, it's how early Craigie settles playing at the Crucible because we've seen players there go 5-0 down before they know where they are. I think he's going to have his work cut out. I think he could have had a kinder draw than playing someone who's, you know, won the title three times. So I'm going to go for Williams. Uh, Mark Allen, Lou Hyasha. Mark Allen, that, he was your big tip last year, of course. Mm. Lost first round. Yeah. Um, yeah. Lou Hyasha uh, back there for a, a second time. I mean, Mark Allen, I know Neil is, uh, Neil Folds is kind of looking at him as a potential winner this year. He's been quite quiet since winning the Champion of Champions. Only ever been in one semi final at the Crucible. Mm. Um, and that was a long time ago now. Yeah. Years. I don't know what, why that necessarily is other than, you know, just come up against people who play well. Uh, I'm going to tip him to win the match. Uh, I don't see him necessarily as the winner of the tournament. Um, but, uh, listen, you never know. He's a player, certainly, if he got in a role the way he plays, you know, he could start, you know, going cutting his way through it. But, I think he'll get through that one. What, what say you? Yeah, no, I would agree. I mean, Lou Shan played really well, actually, um, the, the last time he was there. I think it was Hawkins beat him in the end in the last 16. But he had played some fantastic stuff uh, along the way. But, yeah, I, I, I fancy Alan. I said this last year, didn't I? I fancy him to go in a bit of a run. He, he just strikes me as someone, and I always say this all the time about him, who is just going to have that one of these days that, that he's going to go to the World Championship, get on a roll, as you say, the way he plays, it doesn't take much out of you. So I think he'll be able to stand up well to the rigours of being involved for the two weeks. He just has to be involved for the two weeks first, because, as you say, he's only made it to that one table stage once. And that was at a time when nobody was really talking about him as someone who was on the brink of becoming a world champion. So, um, yeah, I, I would expect he'll have learned something from last year. I think, you know, he, he kind of helped his opponents settle in a bit last year, played some great stuff himself, but in the end got overtaken. Uh, in the closing stages. But uh, yeah, I fancy Alan to win that one. Okay. Um, the top half is completed by Mark Selby against Kurt Mafflin. They played in the first round when Selby was had the Crucible curse to contend with. Mm. Uh, 20, <laughs> 2015. Uh, he won 10-9. It was a belting match. It uh, was. I think Kurt did well to qualify. We didn't tip him. He, we hadn't seen him for months. Um, yeah. Championship League he played. That was about it this year. Did well. Uh, came through pretty comfortably in the last round. 
Um, Mark Selby, listen, three times champion again, crucible player, had a good season, very consistent. Um, Mafflin quarter finalist last year. So, you know, that's not that's not a sort of a, a definite at all for Selby. I do tip him for it, for what it's worth, but I don't have huge confidence there. I could, I wouldn't be surprised if he lost, actually. I'm not tipping Selby. Spoiler, I'm not tipping Selby this year as I did last year to win it. Mm. But on the balance of probabilities, I'd say he'll win the match. Yeah, exactly. That's it. You know, you would look at it and say, you know, Mafflin could actually win that one. As you say, he nearly beat him back in 2015. And, you know, he played great last year. I mean, you know, it wasn't like he was just fluking his way through. He played some fantastic stuff. Uh, don't forget, he beat John Higgins. Um, so, yeah, you would just have to say Selby. But yeah, I, I kind of agree with what you seem to be getting at there, that it wouldn't exactly be the biggest shock of all time if Mafflin was to win that one. He'll be so pleased to be back there. It was the, the high point of his whole career, what happened in Sheffield last year, and it would have been gutting for him to miss out. And he hasn't, so he'll probably go there and see it as bonus time. And that's a pretty good frame of mind to be in as a as a qualifier. Bottom half of the draw, Neil Robertson is at the top there against Liang Wenbo. Played him last year, beat him 10-5. Um, mm. Of course, he's, had a, uh, he's won two massive events, the two biggest ranking events, actually, this season so far, mm. the UK Championship and the Tour Championship. Um, in between, didn't play that much, wasn't in a great frame of mind, clearly was in Newport for the Tour Championship. A lot of people looking at Neil this year. That, that's no different to any other year. Every year, people are looking at him. He's won the title once so far, 2010, not been back to the final since. I think he's only been in one more semi-final since, actually. Um, what say? Well, what do you say you about that, that match and, and more generally about his fortunes this year? Yeah, he's got a great chance. But as you say, I mean, we have this conversation every year, don't we? Because, you know, he always seems to go in with some sort of form behind him. Play absolutely brilliantly in the in the Tour Championship. If he goes and plays like that, then um, every chance he could win it. And, you know, you look at it and you say, I know he's spoken about this. That You know, he, he's someone who's very aware of his place in history. I mean, you think of how keen he was to uh, reach the 100 centuries that time. And, you know, almost threw him... Uh, almost derailed his campaign in the championship in 2014. He was so focused on it. So he doesn't want to be a one-time only world champion. Most of us, of course, was, you know, probably just about settled for that. But you look at it and say, well, maybe he's putting too much pressure on himself going there to win it again. But actually, when you look at it, it's not like he's going there and playing badly. I mean, a lot of those times he's actually played really well and come up against someone who has just either played better than him um, or has kind of beaten them tactically. I mean, Selby has done it. Higgins has done it. That when they've not been playing particularly well, but they've still managed to beat Neil because they've just shown a better all-round game, which, you know, really tells over a few sessions, even if there's not much in it between the two of you in terms of ability. So, if he doesn't get done like that again, he's, he's got as good a chance as anyone. And I'd certainly tip him to beat Liang in the first round. Well, that's the key to it for me, actually. Not allowing himself if he plays one of those type of guys mm. and we know we know they are you've named a couple Selby Higgins I think Kyron Wilson will be another one if he plays one of those type of guys not getting sucked into that because it's not his great strength his great strength is a great attacking game that we saw at the Tour Championship where he played unbelievably well and he knows that you know but it's it's difficult in a match because he's a good safety player as well you know not to not to start playing that game he's the sort of player who could actually I think win the tournament not lo- you know, not losing that many frames. He's one of those you could see him absolutely destroying people. Mm. Not not to say it'll happen. Um, I don't think Liang Wenbo's the worst draw. He's quite an erratic player, as I say. Beat him last year. I don't think that would be you know that's not a sort of unknown match for Robertson. He knows what to expect there. I fancy him to come through. 
Uh, now, I mentioned about, you know, the two tough seeds, Bingham and Carter. Ali Carter's played a lot of snooker this year, hasn't he? Um, Pro Series, Championship League, a lot of other tournaments. He looks really good to me. He, he actually said, I interviewed him at the Championship League, he said, I'm really feeling good. I'm attacking. I'm not going to get drawn into negative play. I'm trying to be more positive in general, you know, just just personally. He's got Jack Lazowski, who he beat there a couple of years ago in the first round. Jack's only ever won one match at the Crucible. Obviously, he's had his best ever season, but... I don't think Jack would be, again, if you had a camera on him, as I said about Mark Joyce, he wouldn't be punching the air. That's a tough one, that is. You know, if you, if you, weren't, if you didn't follow Snooker as closely as the listeners to this podcast, you'd think that Carter was the seed there and, and Lazowski the qualifier. Yeah, uh, absolutely dreadful draw for Lazowski. The two players nobody wanted to get were Carter and Bingham of, of, of the seeds. And obviously Lazowski has got one of them. Very, very close call. I agree with everything you're saying about Carter. Be no surprise at all if he wins it. But just, just from being honest, on a hunch, on a gut feeling, I'm just going to go for, for Lazowski. I fancy Carter. I, I've got to be honest mm. there. Um, anyway, we, we will see. Remember, it's all for fun. No wagering. Exactly. Um, Barry Hawkins, Matt Sell. I think this is another tough one to call. Sell is a, quite a bullish character. He played well to qualify, despite saying he's going to retire. That never happened. Um, Barry... You know, crucible player, Claxton alert. You know, he, he tends to come good there. Not every year, it's got to be said, but he tends to win matches. He never won the tournament, never won the World Championship, as you pointed out a couple of weeks ago. But he, you know, he wins matches at the crucible. Um, oh, they played before, didn't they? It was 10-9. I think Celt came from 9-4 down or something ridiculous uh, to force a decider. But Hawkins won. Um, I'm actually going to just tip Celt there, actually. It would be a bit of a surprise for Barry to go out first round. Uh, but I'm that's that is my prediction. Yeah, I mean, that's another one of those that there's not much more than 50-50, really. Um, but I'm just going to go slightly the other way. Just going to go with Hawkins. Just on a very, uh, you know, unsophisticated basis that he's a better player who's had a better season. So just on that basis. But yeah, if you're looking for potential upsets, that would be one you'd look at and say, yeah, there's a chance there. But I'm just going to go for Hawkins. The next match is momentous, OK? Kyron Wilson against Gary Wilson. Yeah. Now, they are they are going to complete the coveted and prestigious namesake triple crown okay <laughs> because they played each other at the uk championship they played each other at the masters and now they're playing each other at the world championship so that that long-running very prestigious thing the namesake triple crown they are going to complete mm. well i was thinking <laughs> about this i mean first of all chris downer i mean oh, you know when he saw spinning, the draw yeah because yeah. he has that section at the back of the almanac doesn't he i think it's called curiosities and it's just a little bit the whole, the whole thing's a curiosity yeah, well, well, indeed. <laughs> yeah yeah so so okay so bearing in mind the whole thing's a curiosity if you make it into the curiosity yeah. section of that then it has to be quite something so i was trying to think that this is the first time that's happened at the crucible surely i think so i couldn't yeah. find any couldn't find yeah. any other example yeah couldn't really think of anything it might be. And I'm, I'm, I'm minded of John Redwood launching his conservative leadership campaign in 1995. There's, there's, one, there's one for the teenagers. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. And he was, he was, he was up against the uh, incumbent prime minister, John Major, and he had this absolutely awful, yeah. amateur press conference yeah. where he launched it. And he started off by saying, um, the one thing I can guarantee is that the winner will be John. I mean, I, I actually think someone went out and brought in a box full of tumbleweed and shoved it across the room. And he, the, what made it even worse was he gave a little chuckle at the end of it. So I think things uh, didn't well, really improve after that. The thing about that, just just to, on, a, on a side issue, mm. politicians are very rarely as funny as they think they are. Like yeah. they made a big deal every year of Dennis Skinner making this joke um, with the Queen's speech. And it was never really that funny. It was funny to, to, the, to the people there. 
But it wasn't exactly like a night at the comedy store sort of stuff, you know? Well, well anyway. he, but still, he had a great comedy partnership with David Bedeal. Or maybe that was another Skinner. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, to say we've got off the point yeah. there. Uh, yeah. So, however, coming back to reality, there's always one match, okay? Now, I know you said there's always someone who comes through from the first qualifying round. Yeah. Or words yeah. to that effect. But there isn't... Okay, I'll say there's nearly always one match in the first round that looks like a bit of a banker and doesn't go the way you think it's going to. So this year, I'm going to say it's going to be this one. And I think Gary Wilson might might, might win this one. Okay. Um, yeah. I disagree. But I think it could... I think it possibly could be... has potential to be match of the round territory, 10-9. Sure. I think it'll be high quality. Gary, you know, semi-finalist two years ago. Of course, the issue with that is actually he sunk like a stone in the provisional ranking. Is he's outside mm. the 32 because the points are coming off. Kyron has played a lot of snooker this season. He's been he's second on the list of century makers. He goes there, I think, confident. Um, and I, I, I think it's a tough draw, definitely. I think Gary's dangerous, but I'm going to tip I'm going to tip Kyron there. Uh, the next one, Sean Murphy, Mark Davis. Mark Davis uh, record eleven times he's qualified now. Of course, was seven two down to Jamie Clark, one ten eight, which mm. fantastic fantastic turnaround, quintessential sort of qualifying, you know, comeback. Um, Sean Murphy's been very quiet this season. We've spoken before about, obviously, the problems he's had, you know, with the whole quarantine thing, and that's been difficult living in Ireland. Um, I haven't seen anyone necessarily tipping Sean to win it this year. But, you know, he's won it before. He's been in three finals. It's hard to say. I, I found this... That was the first match out, actually, this morning. And I immediately thought, that's tough, because Mark Davis, you know, is a very, very solid player. But I think he's only won three matches at the Crucible. So he's, even though he he's, keeps qualifying... When he gets there, he hasn't pulled up too many trees, but he's still dangerous. You know, all the experience, oldest player this this year at the age of 48, still a, still a tough one for Sean. Can you believe it's been 16 years since Sean won the World Championship? Incredible stuff. Yeah, I think I'll just go for Murphy. As you say, Davis, when he gets there, doesn't tend to uh, accomplish all that much. He did beat Ken Doherty in the first round back in 95. Uh, of course, that's a very, very long time ago. Um, John, so, Redwood, John Redwood territory. Oh, yeah. It's, everything's yeah. about 95 today. Mm. Um, so, yeah, just going to go for Murphy there. Yeah, I think I think Murphy as well. Three to go. Yambing Tao, Martin Gould. This is an interesting one. Obviously, Yambing Tao, Masters champion. Gould just always seems dangerous. Uh, played brilliantly last year in that first round against Steve Maguire. He sort of buried him 10 3. Um, before the draw came out, Yambing Tao, I sort of liked in that section, actually. Um, but now he's drawn Gould. I like him a little bit less because I think that's a tough one. That is, again, I think one of the more difficult ones to predict. Yeah, they had a good match in the European Masters earlier in the season. Mm. Yan was playing really, really well. Looked like he might win it. And then uh, Gould actually beat him in the quarters and uh, went 5-4 and almost went on, of course, to win the title. Uh, Yan going there with more expectation, much more expectation on him than there's been in any previous year, because he is now the Masters champion. But, you know, Gould's the last person to be impressed by that. A lot of the time you feel, you know, he barely even notices who he's playing against. He seems to be in his own little world a bit. And I mean that in a really, really good way, actually. So I think Gould could actually win that one. You know, he's he's going in as the unseeded player, but very, very experienced and um, has pulled off a few very good wins at the Crucible over the years. Uh, You know, you mentioned one of them from last year, and I think this might be another one. I actually think, Looking at the draw, this is the hardest one to call, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to go for Yambing Tao, but without any confidence at all. Uh, <laughs> this is, see, this is the insight people are looking for. Um, mm-hmm. 
two to go. Dave Gilbert, Chris Wakelin. Um, now, unless I've got this wrong, they're good friends, those two. They're from a very similar area. Um, I think they practiced together. Yeah, yeah. and that, that doesn't bode well for either, actually. Particularly Dave Gilbert. You know, it, I think... Had they not drawn each other, they'd probably be ringing up today. Do you want to practice? You know, do you want to get you know to get ready? That's not going to happen now. Dave would have been delighted that Chris firstly kept his place on the tour, which was in doubt through the qualifiers, and secondly got to the Crucible. Now all of a sudden it's daggers drawn stuff, which is not an easy position to be in. Um, I don't know. I mean, again, Wakelin winning would be regarded as an upset. I think outside the sort of again the sort of people sort of people listen to this podcast, the hardcore fans. Within the game, it's not a massive surprise. Of course, he ended. He beat Mark Selby, didn't it, at the Gibraltar Open? He did, yeah. Um, on balance, I'm going for Gilbert, but not with huge confidence. Well, this is a bit of a throwback, isn't it? Because back in the days when the rankings were only updated once a year, there was usually one player, maybe more than that, in the first round as a top 16 player, but who was probably about to drop out of the top 16 and was probably the one all the qualifiers wanted to draw. And with the greatest of respect to Dave, I think he was in that role this time because... Almost got to the final, as we know, uh, two years ago. Didn't seem to be thrown off course by it because he actually started the next season really, really well. But after the Scottish Open in December of 2019, his form and his results just went off a cliff to the extent that actually this is now an enormous match for him in terms of tour survival for next year. Mm. Because as it stands at the moment, he's outside the 64 on the one year list, uh, you know, from this season. So if he loses this, then effectively he's got to make up ground next season just to keep his place on the tour at all. Now, as a seed, he will get uh, no points if he loses his first round match. If he wins, he gets 30,000. And we talk a lot about how important the World Championship is for the rankings, even more so now because four of the biggest tournaments in terms of money and therefore ranking points didn't take place this season. So the World Championship, and how, how you're doing it, has even more of an impact. And that's really underlined by the fact that if Dave wins this match, he will get more points for that than he has accumulated in all the other tournaments put together this season. Wow. And like I say, he's outside the 64 on the one-year list at the moment. If he was to win this one match, it would literally move him up something like 30 or 40 places. So it's absolutely colossal for him. That's not a good thing, though. That's putting huge pressure on, especially you know when you've, you've had such a struggle. I know he's done well the Masters the last couple of years, but that has really, really masked how his game has just completely collapsed uh, in terms of... Um, in terms of the ranking events. Wakeland, as you say, was playing for his place on the tour. He's got that now. And I think that's a great position to be in going to the Crucible. That would have been the primary concern for him, not actually qualifying, but keeping his place on the tour for the next couple of years. Now he's done it. He's in bonus territory and he's up against a player who I think he'll fancy his chances against. So I'm going to tip Wakeland to get through that one. Well, he nearly beat Trump, didn't he, a couple of years ago? Um, yeah, yeah. In what, what, was a, what was a nerve shredder? I'm going to yeah. go for Gil. I'm going to go for Gilbert again, not with any great confidence. Hopefully, he's not as aware of all that as, as you are. I mean, it's hard yeah. not. It's hard not to be. But yeah, I mean, when you put it like that, it's a pretty. It's a big match, clearly. The last match of the draw then is Judd Trump. Of course, he's world number one, but seeded second because O'Sullivan is the defending champion, so he's number one seed. Trump has drawn Liam Highfield, got through for the second time. Big surprise, really, to beat Zhou Yulong. I think he was everybody's kind of choice, pretty much, to get through that section. He'd done really well. Great potter, Highfield. He popped some real crunch balls. He's got quite a sort of, what seems like quite a nonchalant style of playing. Um, I'm not saying that's how he feels, but he, he kind of, he has a bit of swagger, which I quite like. Um, but it's a stinker of a draw for him. He wouldn't want to play Judd Trump at the Crucible. No. Um, he's delighted to be back there, but 
people say there are no easy matches, which is true, but some are definitely easier than others, and this is one of the hardest you can have. Yeah, and I mean, how can you possibly not tip Trump to win to win that one? So yeah, go for him. He did a couple of interesting interviews, Trump, uh, before we move on with uh, with Phil Haig in the Metro. I mean, all of Phil's pieces are interesting, but they were they were interesting on their own, but put together, they were quite revealing. I thought so. The first one. He was talking about how he thinks snooker is stuck in the past. There's too much talk about the past, particularly in some of the television coverage. Now, listen, we're here. people will people will say to us on this podcast, you've got to mm. bring this up. But of course, this podcast is aimed at snooker fans. So Yeah, we're for the hardcore. Exactly. exactly. And we, yeah, go on. We talk about, we have talked about the past. I'm more of a fan of history than nostalgia. But, you know, we've talked about quite a few niche things from the past. But we're, we're aiming this at snooker fans. He's talking about general television coverage. And... I read that first article and I would say I didn't agree with everything he said. I would have given it sort of seven out of 10 for what I agreed with. He said, you know, there's diff- maybe they could, the old thing about the dress code and maybe make it more modern and appeal to youngsters, which is all fine. I have to say, though, I did speak to someone at World Snooker Tour who sort of laughed down their sleeve a little bit at some of the comments because they made the point that they have tried over the years to do various things to promote the game differently with the top players. And quite often, the managers of those players will come to them and say, we want money for it. So they've tried to do things and it's not always been as simple as, you know, you might think a lot of people agreeing with Trump, maybe not aware. I'm not saying that Judd Trump's been after money, but I'm saying there've been players over the years whose managers more than the players, whose managers have come along and wanted paying. It's not as easy to sort of just, you know, do all these sort of get a player on top gear or get a player on master chef or whatever, um, as people might think. But the other article was interesting as well, because he sort of got into saying about, um, it made him laugh that people are tipping Neil Robertson as the favourite. People are overreacting to John Higgins' performance. And put together, what he's actually saying is, and what's important to realise, if anyone knows anything about theatre, is subtext, OK? You've got what people have said and what they actually mean. And to me, reading between the lines, what he's saying is people should be talking about him more. People should be recognising what he's done. He's actually said this explicitly, so this is no great this is no great reveal from me. This is no great sort of detective work. He has said this explicitly as well. He thinks he's not getting the credit he deserves. Now, to me, that actually shows him to be quite sensitive. I mean, I was thinking back to that time at the Crucible a few years ago when he tweeted during the interval at Dominic Dale. Dominic had said something, just an opinion mm. about, I think about his cue ball control or something, nothing major. Trump wasn't happy, and, and that was a sort of sign of sensitivity. He feels he's playing brilliantly, which he is in general. You know, he's had an amazing couple of years. And I think it annoys him when, A, people talk about the old days as if they were better, and B, when they focus on the other players. But the fact is, the two tournaments he mentioned, won by Higgins and Robertson, Trump lost in the first round of both. Mm. That's, that's why we weren't talking about Judd Trump those weeks. Um, but it's an interesting little just look at his sort of persona. Clearly, he is annoyed that he, or he feels within himself, He's not getting the praise he deserves. Personally, I think he's getting plenty, actually. I think, mm. listen, we've we praised him many... I'm not saying he listens to the podcast, but we've praised him many times. I think, in general, everyone in the snooker world feels he's fantastic talent and he's doing great. But it's interesting, he maybe doesn't quite see it that way. Yeah, I mean, you couldn't have imagined Stephen Hendry saying those sort of things. You know, he'd just feel, well, if I'm not getting the credit, then that just shows people don't know what they're talking about and I'm going to prove it by going out and winning the next tournament. And that's the thing, you know, if Judd goes to the Crucible and wins the World Championship, well, he'd be the only player anyone will be talking about the next day and he'll be getting all the credit in the world. And, you know, perhaps sometimes if you're not getting credit for what you've done, it's a compliment to you because people have just come to expect continued excellence from you. So they're not commenting on it so much anymore. 
And I just don't know, you know, what Judd achieves by saying those things. And, you know, I think we saw it against Rory McLeod a few years ago that he, you know, talked a bit too much and it didn't really help him when he got out on the table. That's where he, uh, I know it's such a cliche, but that's where he needs to, to do his talking. And just incidentally, you mentioned there's Yu Long going out. That's three years in a row now that the highest seeded player in the qualifying competition hasn't actually made it through. It was Joe Perry last year and uh, I think it might have been Ryan Day the year before. Huge, huge, huge news. Mm. Um, I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, no, listen, I, I think some of the comments Trump made about the sort of obsession with nostalgia is definitely true. We've got this documentary series coming up on the BBC. Yeah. Um, which actually I noticed Steve Davis, he did an interview in the Daily Star about his sort of mu- music he's into, but he actually said in that, isn't it the time we all moved on? He was talking about the fact this was coming up. And I think a lot of people would agree with that. What I would say, though, is it's not all about the young viewers. There's actually a lot of older people who lived yeah. through that, actually really enjoyed it, like it being referred to, because they remember it. So I suppose it's a balance. Listen, I think you should respect the sports history, but I agree, you know, maybe the, the rose-tinted specs should come off a little bit. Definitely, you know, during this championship, we've got to focus on what's happening during the event and we've done that by going through the draw so the next order of business we've gone through the first round is to try and predict a the semi-finalists and b who's going to win it now you dropped a massive spoiler earlier of course telling us who you thought mm. was going to win it but mm. but how do you see the last four panning out okay well obviously i'll go for ding in that top section i, I could actually see mcgill doing for o'sullivan in the second round you know he's he's got a bit of previous hasn't he in terms of um, knocking out big names at yeah. the crucible and it's funny how often it just seems to be the second round so many defending champions go out at that stage. I wonder, is it a bit that they're so built up for that first match and being there at 10 o'clock on the opening day and they've seen so many times the holder has gone out in the first round that they build themselves up for it so much and that then the second round is something of an anti-climax to them. So anyway, look, I've tipped in for the title, so I'm going to pick him from that section. Do you want to do the other sections as well? Yeah. Like yeah. My... Okay, yeah. so the, the section below that is like, you know... The, if the seeds get through, the second round is Higgins against Williams, Allen against Selby. I mean, you could see any one of those getting through. Um, but I'm just going to go for Allen. I know I keep doing this with him. I keep building him up going into the World Championship. But just have a feeling one of these years I might be right. And um, the old thing about a stop clock being right twice a day. So I, I, I just fancy. But I mean, you could see any of those four yeah. getting through. That, to me, that would be the, no that's, surprise. That's the section of death, really. In the, yeah. in the draw. that's a tough section. The yeah. section of death. There's an, an expression I've never heard before. <laughs> the, qu- the quarter of death, which yeah. sounds like a Bond movie, but yeah. 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 <laughs> um, then next section, I really like Robertson actually to get through that. You know, uh, Kyron Wilson, of course, could. But then I've just tipped him to go out in the first round because I just think Gary Wilson is going in in a good frame of mind because he's come through. You know, a lot of turmoil off the table. And he spoke very positively after the qualifiers. And he played brilliantly, actually, against Stephen Hallworth. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to go for Robertson to get through there. As you say, he's not been in the semifinals as often as you might expect from him. And then that bottom section, I don't know why I'm saying this, actually. But I'm, I'm, going, to, I'm going to say Murphy. Because I just have this hunch that he might beat Trump in the quarterfinals. Well... So, well, I mean that—that's the least scientific prediction ever. But. No, that's fine. Well, you, you made a. Let's hope that Trump doesn't listen to this podcast because he's yeah. going to because 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 he might not like what's coming in my prediction either. Right. Talking about people talking about not praising him. Um, top quarter for me, I'm going for Ronnie O'Sullivan. My feeling is this season he's been slightly holding back a little bit. Um, 
maybe not giving everything to every tournament, but he's still got to five finals. It's not bad going. Yeah. Um, and yeah, listen, I don't, I don't think I need to explain why I feel Ronnie O'Sullivan might do well in the World Championship. Next section, the quarter of death. Um, it, listen, this is this is tough, definitely. My fit, my slight feeling is John Higgins. Um, just memories of how well he played only a few weeks ago at that Players' Championship. Unless, you know, he's been in eight finals, won it four times, three three finals in the last four years. Again, you know, and if it was O'Sullivan Higgins, you know, over, over three days. I mean, I think we all feel sometimes those semifinals can be too long, but actually you would watch every ball of that. Um, so that's the top half. Bottom half, that next section is quite quite a lively one. But my tip is Kyron Wilson, actually. Mm. I, I, I just think he seems to like playing at the Crucible. I think um, he's had a good season. I think he'll be confident. Bottom quarter... <laughs> I was literally up until we started recording, I was in two minds whether to go for Trump or whether to go for Yan Bing Tao. What's mm. not been mentioned is that Yan Bing Tao can actually beat Hendry's record of yes. being world champion. Yeah. If he would, if he won it. And they played each other last year in the second round. Trump won 13 11, a close match. Um, they could play in the quarterfinals this year. And. I can't, I've literally written, I've literally wrote down Yan Bing Tao, then I crossed out, wrote down Judd Trump. But I've crossed it out again, and I just get the feeling Yan Bingtao could do it. We all know there's going to be... Look, it's never the lineup you ever predict. We know that. We all know there's going to be the odd upset here and there. Could Yan Bingtao beat Trump over the best of 25? I think he could. I'm not saying he will. Well, I am saying he will, actually, because I'm tipping him to get to mm. the semis. <laughs> so so you're going for Ding against Mark Allen and Neil Robertson against Sean Murphy. I'm mm. going for Ronnie O'Sullivan against John Higgins and Kyron Wilson against Yan Bingtao, which leads us to who's going to win it. I'm, this is my prediction, okay? I'm tipping. I'm going to make two, well, three big calls here, okay? One after another. Get ready for this, right? Okay. I'm going to say the final lineup will be the same as it was last year. Mm. Number one, that is Ronnie O'Sullivan against Karen Wilson. Number two, I'm saying it'll be a closer scoreline, but the same winner. I'm saying O'Sullivan is going to win, mm. a, a, going to equal Hendry's record, maybe 18 12, 18 13, something like that. A closer match, he'll win it. And number three, and this is the bombshell, I'm saying it with the last time he wins it, he will end up tying Hendry's record, but he won't win an eighth. Three big statements. Wow. Follow that. Yeah, enormous. <laughs> I thought my ding comment was the yeah. bombshell of the day. Yeah. That would be the first time, wouldn't it, since 1994? Same finalist two years in a row? I thought you were going to say it would be the first time I got anything right. But Yeah, yeah. well, yeah, but you won't, so it won't be. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, well, I'm, I'm going to go for Ding and Robertson in the final. Yeah. I mean, I, I just, for whatever reason, just looking at it this year, I, 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 this is such a cliche, but it is true because, I mean, I do this every year and, you know, we all try to pick through, okay, these will be the first round winners. So then who's going to win the subsequent matches in the second round? And I just found it harder than ever this year. And I think it's, it's just because it's so easy to get beaten now, isn't it? Because mm. there are so many players who are capable on their day and, you know, best of 25 doesn't feel quite as long as it used to, actually. You used to say players would get found out over that distance. And to some extent, that's still true. But I think it's less so now. So I'll go for a Ding-Robertson final, which, again, that would be surely the first time ever. Yeah. No, no British players in the final. Yeah. Um, yeah. And like I say, I, 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 just, I just think this might be Ding's time. Because so often in recent years, the player who's won the World Championship, it's not like it used to be that... It's the guy who's won loads of tournaments through this season. It's maybe the guy who's just been quietly getting a few good results, getting towards the later stages of tournaments without actually winning them or even necessarily being in finals. And then maybe his time to play well comes at the at the Crucible. And Ding is the ultimate example of that, you know, because throughout his career, he's been so unpredictable. 
And you think this last big win was the UK. Um, and there was nothing really in the months leading up to that to suggest that it was coming. There hasn't really been anything in particular to suggest that things going to win the World Championship. But again, he's capable of just suddenly producing it. And of course, Dave, he'd complete the Triple Crown if he did. Hey, he there would indeed. Are. He would indeed. Yeah. Well, listen, it's all it's all for fun. You know, we're just throwing names around and not, not aimed at anybody. Whoever wins it will have a eternal respect. It's a hard tournament to win. Um, and we're going to enjoy watching it. But for what it's worth, there are choices. Now, I thought if you've got time, we've just got a couple of emails that people have sent in. Um, uh, and, of course, we still yeah. have to have this week's uh, In This Week. Oh, yeah, of course. Sorry, yeah. I forgot you had your own feature. Well, why don't we start with that, then? You go and we'll start with that. Well, it's funny, actually, because I picked this earlier. And I, I didn't pick it because of what you said. But it's funny that I picked this. It, you literally could not pick anything that is more at odds with what George <laughs> has said because because let's face it right this is something that people will kind of look back on as a bit naff and a bit cheesy or whatever but those of us who were around at the time we all love it we all remember it with great affection it was this week 35 years ago that snooker loopy entered the <laughs> ent- uh. entered entered the charts at number 98 and of course it completed its climb and ultimately got to number six which apparently I read this somewhere some years ago, is the highest position that anything has ever achieved for a sporting single that wasn't anything to do with football. That's quite something, isn't it? But for those who weren't around at the time, if they're even still listening now, this was um, Chaz and Dave, who were a well-known group from London. And so who were the players? It was Steve Davis, Dennis Taylor, Terry Griffiths, Willie Thorne and Tony Mio. And they all had their own line and they all sang along in the chorus. And an entire generation of people learned the order of the snooker yeah. colours through the chorus of that. I mean, for years after playing the game, I would still, you know, just run through that in my head subconsciously trying to remember them. And and I was thinking as well, just imagine, of course, there won't be a party at the end of the final this year. But if it's next year, let's be honest about it. Obviously, quite sadly, one of the players is no longer with us. And I think one of Chaz and Dave has, has passed away as well in the meantime. But don't tell me that if the surviving one and the four surviving players all came along to the party at the end of the World Championship and performed snooker loopy for us, that we wouldn't all join in at the top of our voices and regard it as one of the greatest moments of our lives. So it was a great time uh, to be getting into snooker. It was so massively high profile at the time. And no matter how much people slag it off, those of us who were around in those days, remember it very, very fondly. And it entered the charts 35 years ago this week. I bought it. Um, I oh, did buy- you? Oh, yeah. I remember, right. buying, I remember buying it. Um, yeah, I mean, listen, it, if, if anything sums up that era, if you wanted a soundtrack to that era, yeah. it, it, it is that song. Um, it, it was, yeah, it, I mean, listen, I'm, I'm not a sort of, I'm not a music expert necessarily. It's not Bob Dylan, but it was, it, 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 did, it did the job, didn't it? I've just actually called up the charts here. The top ten that year, okay. Um, so this is well, the run that, 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 that week. You mean? Well, no, when it got to number six, okay. So all oh, right, okay. This yeah. is the top ten, okay. I'm going to do my best, Alan Freeman here. Oh, this another, is another stuff. Another contemporary reference, okay. So yeah. that week it got to number six. Number ten was Madonna with "Live to Tell," not one of her best, it's got to be said. But anyway, uh, number nine, "Status Quo," "Rolling Home." I don't remember that at all. No. Uh, Van Halen uh, is number eight with "Why Can't This Be Love." I think I bought that one actually. Um, Number seven was Falco, Rock Me Amadeus, which is absolutely terrible. Uh, number six is Matchroom Mob with Chaz and Dave, Snooker Loopy. Number five, it was, it was, this was a real golden time for music, wasn't it? Number five, Doctor and the Medic, Spirit in the Sky. Number four, uh, probably had the best video uh, of, of that time, Peter Gabriel, Sledgehammer. Oh, yeah. uh, fantastic video. 
Uh, number three, level 42, Lessons in Love. Number two, Patty LaBelle and Michael McDonald on my own. And number one, <laughs> this, this might explain how uh, the Matchroom Mob got to number six. Number one was Spitting Image, the chicken song, oh, which was right. a sort of parody of, of sort of summer holiday songs. So that was the top ten. That was the, that was the, 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 the you know, you think of the 80s, when people think of the 80s, they, they'll think of like Prince, Michael Jackson, uh, okay, Madonna's there, but like the Smiths and all these sort of people. That's a pretty rotten top ten, isn't well, it? Well, yeah, none of them were in the top ten that week, but Tony Mio was, you know. Tony Mio, yeah. And, uh, maybe if you hadn't bought it, maybe uh, Rock Me Amadeus would have been number six that week. Maybe, maybe it was you buying it that, that shoved Snoopy Loopy up another place in the, in the charts. Well, it only went, I'm just, I mean, we'll move on shortly, but it only went down one, one place the following week. Okay. Uh, Holding Back the Years by Simply Red was a new entry. Um... Chicken Song remained number one. I'll just do one more week. I know people are saying, you know, we don't care about this, but uh, bear with us. Okay, well, Spirit in the Sky went to number one the week after. Mm. Um, I'm just looking for the snooker song. Went down to number 12, so it hung, it hung around, um, you know, pretty And that, pretty that, well. that's, that's well into the summer by then. I mean, that, yeah. that's, that's long after the World Championship and people were starting to think about you know, the World Cup in Mexico, but uh, snooker was still hanging on. But look, if anyone's being honest who was around at that time, people our age and people who remember what the 80s were like with snooker, we all remember it very, very fondly. And the fact that you bought it, I can't believe. I've known you for, what, 22, 23 years, and I'm only finding this out now. It changes everything. And also nothing. Anyway, let's yes. move on. Got three very quick emails. Jonas writes, why is, why is snooker stuck in off instead of scratch? It struck me as Stephen Hendry tried at snooker escape against Jimmy White, where he went straight into one of the black pockets without touching another ball. You, Dave, and Neil Folds called it an in-off, but technically it wasn't an in-off since it didn't go in and off another ball, hence a straight scratch. Why call it an in-off? Well, of course, scratch is a term, you know this from, from your time at the Championship League pool. Scratch yeah. is more of a term in pool. The truth is, a lot of the snooker terminology came from billiards. Um, an in-off is a term for billiards. It's always struck. Now, you're right in what you say, Jonas. Strictly speaking, if he doesn't touch another ball, it hasn't gone in off another ball. But that's the terminology, and I, I personally like that. I don't want to call it a scratch. I'm sorry. <laughs> there we go. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, look, it's like a lot of these terms. They're not, if, if you look at them literally, they don't really make sense. I see the point he's making, but, I mean, we're not going to change it now anyway. Kev Hodgson. <coughs> Thanks as ever for keeping me company with your snooker and non-snooker related chatter. Well, there's been plenty of that in this plenty, podcast. Yeah, absolutely. I've heard a few times down the podcast mention of the fan-created Crucible Almanac. This sounds like the type of thing every snooker nerd should own, so I googled it. Looks like the last time it was published was possibly 2017. I can't find evidence of it being produced since then. Can you tell me if this legendary publication still exists and is still produced, or is it now a mere myth? I assume mere mortals would struggle to like locate a copy of it anyway. Well, Kev... Um, I'm not saying it's uh, much sought after, but it's actually it's used as currency in some prisons. That's how that's how rare it is. No, Chris Downer produces it every year. It still it came out this year um, because of the current situation. Chris is not printing copies necessarily. He can supply them on a PDF. Um, Chris is not a self promoter. Actually, he's not at all. He doesn't do it for glory. He does it because he loves doing it. He's, I'd love to have been there the day he started it because the amount of stuff in it when when you start from scratch. Unbelievable. It's a terrific um, contribution to the sport, actually, and he does a great job with it. And there's all sorts of arcane things in there. In terms of how he can get it, he sells it himself. Uh, but again, it's quite hard to get hold of him. He's on Instagram if you want to follow him on there and maybe message him on there. That's, that would be my best suggestion, really. But as I say, he's not actually producing printed copies right now because um, I think he, he's got problems actually literally get, getting, you know, getting them printed in the current time. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's an extraordinary creation, and it gets more extraordinary every year because I think Chris goes away and tries to come up with uh, with new categories to add in. He's got one, as we said, with uh, with Wilson and Wilson. The, one of the many stories I could tell about the Almanac actually goes back to two years ago when it was the second session of the final, and it had finished quite early because Judd had played so well, and there was a sense of history because I think we all knew Judd was probably going to win it the next day because it was 12-5 overnight and he was playing so magnificently. And we were sitting around in the press room afterwards, and I think we were having a beer or whatever, probably before going on to have one somewhere else. <laughs> and I took out the almanac, and I, yeah. for some reason I was thrust into the role of quiz master and um, started asking some questions from it. And one of them was, I can't remember what it was, but it was something crazy, like the, the total number of points that had been scored in the entire history <laughs> of the Crucible. And Alan McManus was there, and I mean, he was trumping all the journalists. Yeah, and I think I think he got within like 500 of getting it right or something. Yeah, it's absolutely staggering. But so many stories you could tell about Chris and the almanac, and uh, it well, really is a wonderful thing. And it, I mean, it could not be more in depth. Well, I'm going to read out two sentences that sort of sum up the almanac. Okay, right. The yeah. heading the heading is perfect 50% record brackets excluding walkovers. Okay, so these are the two sentences. Just get get your laughing gear around this. Okay. <clears throat> Dennis Taylor's World Championship career represents a perfect 50% record. Matches played 54, won 27, lost 27. Frames played 1,114, won 557, lost 557. The only other players to hold an exact 50% record based on more than two years' appearances, so this is including qualifiers, of course, are Steve Judd, 28-14-14, and Lou Song, 16-88-270, 135, 135. Ladies and gentlemen, the Crucible Almanac. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but there's so much more of that. I mean, I think there's one in there where he's found, I think, two instances maybe, or maybe it was only one, of a match where two frames in a row finished with exactly the same score. Now, <coughs> how could you find that out without literally going through every single frame of every single match that's ever been played there? It's astonishing stuff. No, he's a great guy, Chris, and I hope, yeah. he go, I hope he gets to go there. Him and Kelly get to go there. Um, I think they are going. I'm sure they'll, they'll do everything they can to, to get there. Uh, Paul Mastrelli, he says, I'm a listener from York, half an hour walk from the Barbican, who's attended all nine UK finals until the lockdown denied me making it 10 years in a row. Watching snooker regularly since the Stephen Andrew Crucible years. Despite reading your accompanying magazine for the last five or so years, for some strange reason, I only started to listen to your podcast last week and was enthralled by your wonderful array of views on snooker-specific subjects. Thank you for adding insight into the game instead of just regurgitating snooker results from previous tournaments. As the World Championship draws ever close, I'm intrigued to know your views on the potential BBC presenting commentary lineup. Hazel Irvin was very much missed in the last year's tournament and subsequent editions of the Masters of the UK Championship. Is there any news on her return for this year's edition? Thank you, Paul, for the kind comments. Yes, there is. Hazel is back. Um, Hazel's back. She hasn't been around for the last year or so. She's been in New Zealand, I believe. Um, but that's good news for the BBC and good news for the viewers. Hazel, uh, w- one of the nicest people you'll ever meet in the world and, and a great broadcaster, very, very hardworking, dedicated. I'm always in awe of people like Hazel and, and a lot of the other guys as well who, when they when they do the links in front of an audience, as, as it looks like they will be this year, you know, there's no auto cue. They have to learn it. They've got all these people gawking at them, watching them. And usually, obviously, if it's live, you've got to just do it off the top of your head. And she never drops a word. Brilliant broadcaster. She's back for the BBC. In terms of their commentary team, I actually don't know. They haven't haven't found any reference anywhere to who's doing it. But I imagine it'll be the, the usual people. You know, Stephen John, Hendry, Ken. Uh, I don't know if JV, JV's coming over. Dennis. 
Um, I think Alan, well, definitely Alan. I think Joe Perry's involved. I've heard that. But uh, yeah, so that'll be their crew for what it's worth with my Eurosport hat on. Um, Colin Murray is presenting. Jimmy and Neil are in the studio at the Crucible. Rachel Casey doing the interviews. I will be commentating alongside Philip Studd and Phil Yates. And our players will be Joe Johnson, Dominic Dale, and for the first time, Anthony Hamilton. So we're welcoming Anthony, the uh, the sheriff of Pottingham. Pottingham will have to be lawless for a couple of weeks. Mm. Their sheriff is doing the Eurosport gig. And there's lots of other places around the world, of course, you can watch it now, um, which is great. So wherever you're watching, I hope, obviously, you enjoy it. One last email. This is a bit of a rant, which was obviously, you know, right up my street. Ben Ware. Just wanted to say thanks for the podcast. I've been a long-time listener and really appreciate the content and the work that must go into making it. Well, I don't know about, I don't know about that, Ben, but anyway, thank you. He says, as I'm here, I think I'll get my long-term gripe with watching snooker off my chest. It's that bad that my wife, who knows nothing about snooker and couldn't tell the difference between Steve Davis and Stephen Hendry, but could give you a breakdown of my problem. Foul and a miss. Nothing wrong with this. It's a rule that it works just fine. But what doesn't work is, and this is in capital letters, putting the balls back in their original position. Here's a blow-for-blow breakdown of what happens on every televised match I see. Foul and a miss. Ref replaces the ball. Ref asks players, it's okay. Player says no. Ref then starts my favourite bit. He starts his little dance with the video ref. Bit more. Left a bit. Back a bit. Other way. Other, other way. Is this okay? No, and so on. Ronnie just smashed the balls recently after this played out, and the position was incorrect. This is played out so frequently. My favourite piece of this is when the commentary tried to give the impression that technology has helped this situation, and how clever it is having a monitor showing the original layout. This is the 1960s solution to the problem. Please speak to someone from World Snooker or Matchroom and get them to put an LED projector alongside the overhead camera. This could be so simply done at a tiny cost and would eliminate all this faff and ceremony every time a ball needs replacing. You could literally swipe your cue across the table and and move every ball and the referee could replace all the balls into their original position in seconds. Sorry about the rant. I haven't had a day off work since September and I think I'm getting cabin fever and going slightly mad. Well, Ben, you're very welcome uh, for all that. There's a lot of truth in what you say. Here's the thing, though. In China a few years ago, they did have a much better system, a much more um, technologically advanced system, which involved little circles, which explain where all the balls were. So that was kind of what you're saying. Not quite an LED projector, but a similar thing projected onto the screen. I absolutely agree with what you say. There was an incident in the qualifiers. I commented on a match. Jan Verhaas was, uh, I think, the referee. And that's put the balls back. And he actually said himself, he said, because the screen was so blurry, he could actually see two balls. He could see two cue balls, you know, two pinks, two blacks, you know, the reds and so on. So that's no help, is it, to the ref, if the screen isn't good enough? It's clearly not good enough. I agree. It goes on too long. It looks daft. So I, I take on board what you're saying. It's got to, it, there must be a better way of doing it. Well, the, the, I mean, it used to be far worse. I mean, the, the problem with replacing the balls after a miss before we had the monitors, I mean, it was just bizarre what used to happen. You, you would have a situation where sometimes they'd be placed really badly. I mean, I can think of one famous incident at the Crucible where the, the balls, like the cue ball was about three feet away from where it had been the previous shot. It changed it completely. But you would always get this scenario where, because the referee will always ask both players who say you're happy with that, and he won't proceed until both players say they are happy with it. But a lot of the time, the player who's sitting down uh, doesn't actually take a look, but just goes along with it anyway and says, yeah, I'm sure that's fine, and then complains afterwards. So I, I never really understood that. It's like, well, mm. if you knew the balls were in the wrong place, why did you just, why did you let them proceed with it? And of course, there was the, the big controversy in 2008 when Joe Swale was on the brink of a place in the quarterfinals and there was um, 
he ended up confronting Liang Wenbo and accusing him basically of, of cheating. And I mean, I was sitting right behind the shot. The balls were placed back in the wrong place. Whether or not Liang knew that, I've no idea. So, you know, to go as far as accusing him of cheating, maybe might have been stretching the point. But there's no doubt the balls have been replaced incorrectly. But if Joe knew that, mm. well, why didn't he get up and say it at yeah. the time? So, I mean, yeah. that was a, a far more unsatisfactory way of doing things. And I think it may be cost Joe a place in the top 16 for the following season. Mm. Yeah, well, I just think I, I agree with what Ben's saying. It just looks kind of antiquated, all this to me, to you stuff. Um, not the referees' fault. They're just working with the equipment they've got. Um, maybe, maybe it's time to, to, to upgrade it. Like I say, they did have that system. I don't know what happened to it. It seemed to work pretty well. Well, we'll leave it there for now. Now, the important thing to say is normally uh, we, 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 <laughs> we, we come back after the championship and do a review, which we will do. But the plan is we're going to pop up at times during the tournament. So there'll be shorter podcasts than this. Don't worry, because obviously people are spending their time watching the snooker. But we'll pop up now and again during the championship and just give our views and maybe comment on you know all the, all the predictions that have gone wrong. Um, mm-hmm. You can, therefore, contact us, snookerscenepodcast.mail.com, snookerscenepodcast.mail.com. We've still got all the other emails, which are still there, and we'll, we'll get to maybe after the tournament's over. Um, but that's it. You know, it's uh, the crucibles upon us again. Um, exciting, isn't it? <laughs> Yeah, I, and while we've been on air, news has broken that Snooker's going to Bolton. Have I saw that, this? yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Champion of Champions. Yeah, Tony Knowles' hometown. This mm-hmm. this venue has actually been talked about for a while as a potential venue for uh, for tournaments, so we'll see that. But yeah, look, in terms of the World Championship, uh, you know, obviously it's strange times for everything. Great that there's going to be a crowd there, it seems, uh, particularly for the final, because, I mean, that just would have been so strange. Uh, because last year there was a crowd in for that to, to have had the world final being played and nobody there. I mean, that just would have actually been really sad to see. So great from that point of view. There'll be surprises. There'll be controversies. There might be a maximum along the way. There'll be great clearances. And in the end, the wonderful thing about it is someone will emerge as champion uh, at the end of it all. That That's the wonderful thing that you know something's going to happen, but you have absolutely no idea what. Six or seven players who could win it without it being any kind of a surprise at all. Probably about another six or seven that it wouldn't be a major surprise. And, uh, yeah, bring it on. Yeah, and the thing to say about the World Championship finally is that 50 years from now, when two other idiots are doing a snooker podcast, and we're probably, probably in the grave, us, actually. Probably in the grave they'll, they'll, this will still be potentially talked about. It may be the one where Ronnie, as I say, equals the record. It may be the start of Trump winning it year after year after year. This, this World Championship, as we talk about World Championships past, is part of the great... Uh, well, D- Ted Lowe actually put it really nicely one year. He described Steve Davis as adding to his tapestry of titles. Mm. And that's what it is. It's another stitch in the great tapestry of the history of our sport. So the World Championship is upon us again. Rest up, everyone, and get ready for Saturday, because it's 17 days of thrills and spills. As I say, we will be back at some point during the Championship. But for now, that is it. We'll see you during the tournament. Goodbye bye for now. <laughs> Sports Social Podcast Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChapaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. 
Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.